This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Welcome to episode 116 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the B Podcast Network. I am excited to bring you an episode today on teletherapy. So obviously, back when the pandemic hit, a lot of us had to frantically switch to teletherapy unexpectedly. But a lot of us were doing teletherapy and using it as a viable treatment option even before the pandemic. And now that people realize the functionalities and the possibilities of what can be done online, people have embraced it as an option even more especially when we think about equity and access to services. But when people had to switch over to teletherapy, a lot of questions started coming up, such as, can you really provide high-quality services in an online format? Does it require the same skill sets as in-person therapy? And if not, what do clinicians need to learn in order to use this model effectively? Are there times when teletherapy provides functionality that doesn't exist in person? I wanted to invite an expert on the topic to talk about it. So that's why I invited Lynn Inabnit from Presence. Lynn is the Senior Vice President of Clinical Success at Presence, a leading provider of remote evaluations and teletherapy for children with diverse needs. In this role, she oversees a team that supports relationships between Presence clinicians and school district partners by embedding clinically sound practices into service operations. Lynn served as a pediatric and school-based SLP for over 15 years, transitioning into the teletherapy space in 2015. Since then, she's held leadership positions overseeing clinical operations and multidisciplinary teams as the Clinical Director of Quality Outreach and Learning for Presence and the Co-Clinical Director for Global Teletherapy. 
Lynn was a previous recipient of the Leadership in Literacy Grant from the U.S. Department of Education, awarded by the University of Cincinnati, is an ASHA-certified and licensed SLP, and received a bachelor's degree and a Master of Arts in Speech Pathology from Miami University of Ohio. So in this conversation, we discuss what skills are needed to be a good teletherapist, and how should clinicians set themselves up for success from the start? How can teletherapy provide solutions for creativity, innovation, and customization that aren't as easy to do when you're using print materials? And then we also talked about some different things relating to leadership and building your skills, such as how therapists can leverage the power of networking and community to build their skills and grow in their careers, especially if they're dealing with imposter syndrome. We talked a little bit in this conversation about how clinicians do need to execute problem solving. And when they go into their therapy sessions, while they do want to have a good protocol and good skill sets, they also need to be open to customize on the fly, especially when it comes to building vocabulary. And I actually provide a framework for supporting vocabulary and building those syntactic, morphological, orthographic, and semantic skills that kids need to support literacy in my online program, Language Therapy Advanced Foundations. So if you are a speech pathologist or other professional who's supporting language and literacy, and you want a framework that's going to help you to streamline your language therapy so that you know you're following evidence-based practices and you don't feel like you are starting from scratch for every student, then definitely check out Language Therapy Advanced Foundations. You can learn more about the program and get on the waiting list at drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. Now, please enjoy this episode with Lynn and Abnett. Today, I am joined by Lynn and Abnett from Presence Learning. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. So I thought that we could start off by just having you share a little bit about your background. You have a really unique professional journey, so we can just start there. Sure. That sounds good. So I am an SLP, speech language pathologist. I served in that role providing pediatric and school-based services for about 15 years. I've always been drawn towards the intersection of, I'd say, leadership in education, um, building strong partnerships within multidisciplinary teams and how they can best work together, and just general advocacy for our profession. So uh, those are some of the interests that I'd say led me to, to where I am today. I worked as an SLP across settings, pediatric outpatient, clinical supervision, school-based academia, and in private practice before ultimately entering the teletherapy space in 2015. Uh, From there, I'd say I somewhat naturally uh, built my way into leadership roles. I have had and continue to have great mentors along the way. So first, firstly, I like to give credit to having alignment with great mentors in my career. Um, And then likewise, I think some of the other things that led me into my current role were always dedicating time to relationships and co-learning, building a sense of community, and focusing on the critical needs of our, our workforce, our special education field and related service providers, so that we can reinforce the successes of clinicians and schools Um, And that's ultimately just like a snippet of what led me into my current role uh, overseeing the clinical success team here at Presence. Great. Yeah, that's like I said, you're speaking my language with all of those things with just the cross-disciplinary collaboration and bringing the leadership component to what we do as clinicians. And I love the what you said about mentorship and coaching, because I, I mean, I think most people would would say, oh, is it good to have a mentor? Of course it is. Is it good to build relationships? Of course. But I think that that's where it can get really difficult to figure out how to actually do that. I mean, if like, what are some things that you did to seek out good mentors early on in your career? Well, I think, like I said, participating in community building aspects. So we all know the challenges therapists are faced with every day. And 
building a team that can support one another um, and participating in that kind of co-learning together is, is one of the things that aligned me with some really strong mentors. I, I think always not being afraid to ask the hard questions as well, and ultimately taking responsibility where and when that's needed too. So, you know, not shying away from challenges and, and just having that growth mindset generally is recognized and appreciated. And then, you know, building a team alongside myself is something that I uh, valued along the way that I'm only as good as the people I surround myself with. And um, in order for us all to succeed, we really need to do it together. Yeah, that's interesting because I mean, you in a leadership role right now, it's probably in your job title to be building that team. But if you want to get to that point, you kind of have to think about it beforehand to just do it. I don't want to say under the table, but just build it around you as you're, even if you're not in a position where you have direct reports. So what are some things that you did before to kind of get you to where you are now? Well, like I said, participating, being there in, we all know learning is a part of the role of a good therapist. Every single day, we're all thinking of how can I creatively meet the student's needs? How can I balance the many responsibilities I have and, and leaning into the network that I had along the way um, and collaborating with people that had different knowledge than myself and not being scared to do that, um, just built these natural relationships and partnerships that allowed uh, myself to thrive. Yeah, that's one of the things that I got, took away from being in the school is just learning from the people who are on your team that are not, again, not your direct reports, but just people that you're working with that are your peers that maybe can address something a little bit differently than you can, or maybe have a little bit of overlapping scope. When people are hesitant to do that, what's usually, what do you find are their hesitations to reaching out to other people and collaborating? I think a lot of therapists feel a pressure to, to know it all. Yeah. Um, even just the speech language pathology field is widely varying in terms of areas you can specialize in. So mm -hmm. especially for school-based providers, that can be a real challenge to feel like you have to meet uh, the diverse needs of a, of a widely varying caseload of students. And so, um, you know, I, I like to shy away, like I said, from um, not, not being scared of those challenging questions, asking those questions or, you know, acknowledging when you might be challenged by a particular situation or a particular student and just leaning into that. That's okay. We're not, we don't need to know it all. We can really, um, lean on each other. Yeah. So a hard question, meaning just saying like, Hey, I am not really sure what to do here. What are your thoughts? Like, what would what would you do in this situation to your colleague, your peer, your supervisor, things like that? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's something that I think as a new clinician or a new teacher or whatever position you're in, where it's like you there, that element of imposter syndrome where. I have found it hard to tease out when it's, is this real imposter syndrome where I know the answer, I know what I'm doing, and I'm just not confident versus maybe I do need more information, experience, help from someone, and that's going to lead to that confidence. I mean, just, just knowing the difference, because I found that people, when they're mentoring and coaching other people, they kind of go to one extreme where it's like, fake it till you make it, you know, this is, you know, just believe in yourself. But then sometimes when you do that, you actually aren't really giving yourself what you need to, to believe in yourself and feel confident in your role. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So that's just one of my pet peeves about the way that I've seen people being coached, not necessarily in our field, but just as I've kind of branched out into business and coaching, because a lot of times what people will do is they'll kind of start a, if they're starting a private practice on the side, or if they are 
doing some kind of coaching that's not exactly therapy, that's the advice that's being given. And it's like, well, I don't know. I don't know that that's always good advice to people to make them feel confident. So, yeah. Yeah. So I, when you're thinking about, because at presence, you are providing therapy services to to the schools, what kinds of things, as you're thinking about staffing, as you're thinking about service delivery, what are some of the challenges that you see school districts facing when it comes to making sure that there's good service delivery? So obviously there, there are tons of just staffing shortages across yeah. special education and related services. Um, those that are providing services are just tasked with a lot of challenges coordinating schedules, ensuring mandatory services are delivered and the timelines are followed, meeting the needs of, like I said, specialized or low incidence students. Um, and because of those challenges, that often means providers are stretched thin. And unfortunately, that can make quality a lesser priority, unfortunately. Um, some statistics that, you know, Presence recently shared are including things like uh, one school psychologist per 500 students is recommended in order to provide comprehensive psychological services. And according to NASP, the current ratio is like one in uh, one to 1,300 or, you know, around oh that. Wow. So it's, it's yeah, the those shortages are very real and felt very much. So when providers are stretch so thin, it can make it really challenging to, to focus on the quality of, of intervention. Yeah. So what, when, with presence, what, just to share a little bit, if people aren't familiar with the company, what services do you provide and how are they structured? Sure. So we provide uh, pre-K through 12 services for across disciplines, speech therapy, occupational therapy, mental health counseling, and psychoeducational evaluations. And then likewise, we have a tool called Kanga that providers who aren't contracted with us to provide those services can still use and access on their own to meet their own caseloads needs. So in theory, somebody with a private practice or something could use that? Correct. Yep. Wow. Okay. So did Presence start off, and maybe I'm not remembering this correctly, what was the first type of service that they provided? Did they start off with speech and then expand, or was it was it always multidisciplinary? I believe it started, I've not been at Presence forever, so I, yeah. I don't want to speak, but I believe it started with speech and psychoeducational evaluation okay. soon after that. Yeah, that makes sense, um, that you would start in one place and then expand so that's really interesting how you you said in 2015 was really when you got into the the teletherapy space which is timely because of what happened a few years after that. So <laughs> um I know that a lot of people were doing teletherapy and were seeing it as a viable solution before the pandemic and then obviously it became a need. I'm curious what change you've seen and the way that people think about therapy since then. So like pre-pandemic, after the pandemic, I mean, what are people, what are people's perceptions of teletherapy? Sure. So COVID did change things a lot, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, you know, we are proudly have been in this space for pre-COVID times, right. I would say. Yeah. And the experiences from that, you know, there's been a lot of lessons learned, I think, for people who were thrown into it. Um, I, I always like to say that some of the misconceptions about teletherapy are, you know, first and foremost, it is human centered. So it's not, it's not an app. We're not throwing students in front of an app for their therapy. It is driven by a skilled clinician who is an afforded advanced set of tools, but ultimately it's still about that clinician's skill set. And COVID, I think, made that front and center for a lot of therapists who yeah. were thrown into those challenges. Um, and I think in that time, that was really interesting because I saw there was often uh, two types of what their experience during COVID felt like when they were maybe thrown into it. So if they were thrown into it and didn't have those necessary tools to succeed, I would say that was really not a good reflection of what it's like when you're working with a teletherapy agency like Presence, who's there to provide 
really advanced resources, tools, training, and support along the way. So I really felt for the clinicians who were just kind of thrown into it, not choosing to do that, and didn't have a lot of the tools to succeed. Um, But then we also saw a lot of clinicians who thrived and thought, um, like myself, when when I started teletherapy, some of the things that kept me here were it untapped some creativity for myself and and really sparked that creativity for me in a a new way. And for those therapists, I think it was just the beginning. So people that felt like me where, oh, this is a new way of using my skills. um, It, I think they really grabbed onto that and um, has led more of them into, you know, trying it in in further ways too. Yeah. So that's really interesting because, you know, it's like, there's in-person therapy and then you transfer over to teletherapy and it's like, there's this assumption that some of those skills are going to transfer over how much explicit direction, professional development is needed if people want to make that transition and how much do people kind of just figure it out? So I think some of that is unique. There's a basic foundational skill set of you know, digital literacy skills, I would say yeah. that, you you know, a clinician needs to succeed in a teletherapy environment. Some of it can be learned along the way. And then some of it um, is, is up to the therapist themselves of how much they really want yeah. to, to go into that world and really advance their own skill set or the way they approach students in this setting. So there, you know, like I said, a, a basic skill set is needed, but then um, a more advanced skill set is what becomes ultimately, I think, most rewarding about the profession. Yeah. And I think that some of those things you'd have to just, I mean, there's no way you could go to a lecture and just know how to do teletherapy. I mean, I know I, I offered a seminar and I had some interviewed some people to have them come on just because I had people in my programs, which most of the the services that I was offering the way that my, my materials and my lessons are formatted. People were already using it in teletherapy. If they knew how to do teletherapy, they could take my stuff and figure out how to do it in person or teletherapy. And so it was already friendly, you know, online friendly, but I was kind of like, you know, I'm just going to do a big Q&A session and answer your questions as best as I can, because everybody's asking me questions about this. And, you know, and I did try to pull from people who had experience with that, but it was like, it, it almost felt like the blind leading the blind to some extent or, you know, where you're like, I, I don't know that I'm going to give you the perfect answer, but I at least just want to do something be- so that we know that we're supported here and we can kind of figure this out on the way. And obviously that was because we were all panicking because we didn't know what was going to happen. <laughs> you know, that was like May, 2020. <laughs> yes. That was when everyone, some of you were learning it together as you go. Yeah. That's okay yeah. too. Well, okay. So when you're thinking about digital literacy, what are some basic skills And then what are some more advanced skills that you've seen people develop along the way? And this could be speech. It could be any of those other disciplines. Uh, So basic skill sets, you know, obviously uh, digital documentation, Mm -hmm. understanding how to track progress monitoring in a a digital tool set is is a good skill. Um, Navigating web browsers and Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, something that I think often goes unsaid, but is really important is communication in a a digital environment. That's actually, you know, it's a soft skill you might say, but actually Mm -hmm. it's really important to, to really know how to collaborate virtually uh, with a team is is challenging. Um, But those are, that's a foundational skill. I would say that, that you, you won't succeed if you can't navigate collaboration and communication in this environment too. So those would be some of the basic skill sets needed. Um, and understanding how to just navigate online. Like I said, some of the more advanced skill sets uh, rely on um, wanting to customize content. So to me, one of the best things about teletherapy is that we can really individualize the content um, and we have kind of a flexible system. So you can make your own content, you can edit the content. You can use different websites in novel ways. Uh, You can upload content and and really customize it. So those are advanced skills of how you use content, I'd say, and how much you want to customize it or 
you know, use it in a unique way for a particular student. Those are some of the more advanced skill sets and um, can can be fun if you're into that and want to really develop your skill set. Um, and then always growing in our ability to interact and with a diverse student caseload. So, you know, being willing to customize that content to meet the students' needs and um, knowing how to best approach uh, students and their support people. And likewise, I think uh, assessments, you know, that that's a good somewhat of a foundational skill if you're in, yeah. if you have that as a need, but then um, getting really good at a variety of assessments uh, in the digital setting is also an advanced skill set. Yeah, that's one of the things that came up a lot. And just what I just saw questions like, how do I, how do I give the self or whatever it is, like whatever the assessment is, or how do I, if I'm working with a non-speaking student and they might need, you know, physical assistance to, to maneuver, how do I work with a person who's physically there with them? And then the other thing too, that came up where it's okay. Talking on a screen is not how a social situation is. So how do I use this therapy session and the other people that are working with the student to make sure that we take what we did in therapy and then go and use it somewhere in another situation, which is, you know, the, the whole point of therapy to help you apply it. That's one of the, the, some of the things that have come up, at least some of the questions. So I would imagine those would be more advanced. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Choosing the right tests is really key in this environment. And like yeah. you said, sometimes that means rating scales where other people are giving input, mm, uh, yeah. always being able to you know, you really do in a testing environment need to rely on what we call a primary support person on the other end yeah. to ensure fidelity um, and, you know, that they're going to be able to follow the protocols and not do prompting and things like that during a testing session and ensure that they they know how to do it. But always, you know, looking at the child holistically too, that, that it's not just them on the other end of the screen, that they have a real environment as well that they're navigating and communicating into. I wanted to take a quick break here and talk a little bit about my program for SLPs that gives them a framework and a system for language therapy. So part of minimizing the decision fatigue that you have on a daily basis as a clinician is creating good systems. And in order to do that effectively, you have to understand what evidence-based practice looks like and what components need to be in place in order for you to support your students' language and literacy skills. And that's exactly what I show you how to do in Language Therapy Advanced Foundations. When I first started practicing as an SLP, I felt like I didn't have a system, which required me to spend a ton of time planning for language therapy. And I wished I would have had a better framework to use so I could streamline my sessions, but still leave room for creativity in the process. So that's exactly what I help clinicians do in Language Therapy Advanced Foundations. To learn more about how you can get on the waiting list for the program, go to drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. Now let's get back to the interview. The interesting thing, and it's funny because I have, when I've talked to career coaches, there was this this thing about how to prepare for a digital interview. And it's almost like you have to do that kind of training and information um, when, and, and obviously if you have parents, caregivers, um, support staff who are used to that environment, they know the routine, but people initially, if they are not familiar with teletherapy, it sort of shifts your mindset about it, where if you're going to physically go somewhere to a session, so this would be again, job interview or therapy session, you think, oh, I need to get dressed and get ready to go out and be physically in a place. And if you are doing this teletherapy setup, it's like, you just go in the other room and turn the camera on. So the whole prep and priming for the session to get yourself ready to learn or ready to on the professional end, do therapy, you almost have to remember that it's just a digital version of that in-person thing. And it was just funny because um, with the job interview thing, this, this seminar, they were like, remember to not wear a sweatshirt. Remember to, you know, like 
don't be in your underwear or something crazy where I'm like, I can't believe you have to say that. But uh, when I, when I did an interview with someone at the very beginning of the pandemic, who had a background in teletherapy trained people, she said that there was this one time where like the therapist got up and it's like, I don't know what kind of pants she was wearing, but it wasn't, it wasn't professional attire. So just some of those things that, and, and again, like, so training the therapist, but also helping the people on the other end know you have to prepare this child for this session. It's not just, you know, you just roll out of bed and turn on the camera that you're not going to be ready to learn there. So what right. kinds of things have you done to prepare people on both ends for that setup? Yeah, well, we, we do have, you know, training for our primary support people. So they, you know, ahead of those testing sessions are very clear on the expectations and understanding of that. Um, but for therapists who are new to it, I always encourage them to just practice. Like you don't ever yeah. want to be administering a test for the very first time in front of a student. So really yeah. practice, have someone join you, go through that and, you know, use the tools that we have available so that you're prepared and not, not surprised by anything during a testing session. Cause that, that can really throw things off. So you need to take the time in advance, set yourself up for success. And ultimately uh, with a lot of teletherapy, you pay, you get paid for that later. Like you, you save time later on when you put in that time up front and prepare mm -hmm. really well, then it, you, it becomes much more streamlined uh, later on too. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Like sometimes the practice just get, get comfortable with it. That's the whole thing about the imposter syndrome. Like if you practice up front, then you can get rid of that or not get rid of it, but minimize it a little bit. Yes. Okay. So with your platform specifically, I know that when people initially think of teletherapy, the zoom is a very common platform, Google meet, there's all kinds of tools, but what does your platform specifically offer that is unique, innovative, or that just enhances the experience for people on both sides? Yeah, well, for our, our platform and Kanga that can be used by therapists not here at Presence, um, mm -hmm. it's really uh, what I would call like an all-in-one tool. So it has everything for therapy, everything for evaluations, and everything for caseload management. Um, I think what's really neat about our platform is that it was created by clinicians who were doing the work themselves mm -hmm. uh, and has been around for a long time. So very, very much before COVID times, um, I think over eight years of kind of a product innovation with clinical expertise driving that forward. Um, some of the things I think that make our platform unique uh, are, are specialized and, and always growing partnerships so that those partnerships really enhance our library content. So we've got partnerships with uh, key assessment publishers across, I think, five different major publishers so that clinicians have those assessments readily available to use in their sessions. And then we have some really fun therapy partnerships as well with like Hasbro and PCS, the board maker symbols. Um, mm -hmm. We've got some really great mental health curriculums. Um, and so those partnerships, I think, set our platform aside, then those are always expanding. Uh, and then likewise, I think the, the platform itself was designed with the flexibility in mind to, to be able to customize that content, individualize it to your students' needs, and um, really allow clinicians to, you know, use their own skill set in the ways that they want uh, with, with a really neat tool. Yeah, that's really interesting that I think a lot of people don't think about when things are digital, there's that element of customization that's that's different if you have paper materials that you've printed out. I was talking to someone in the ed tech space the other day, and he was saying that the way that you can change and customize things is so much like it happens much more quickly when it's digital. You could, if you're a good clinician, be kind of playing and customizing from a template on the spot with a student. And so like, I'm always teaching people to use a framework, use a template, but don't go in feeling like you have to have your session perfectly mapped out because you're going to have to customize, like, you don't know how the student's going to describe this wor word or respond to this. And you can get good at that on the fly, um, 
cueing, scaffolding, prompting, describing words or describing answers. And you can just put that into the platform if you know the platform, if you know your protocol clinically, and if you are good at just problem solving on the spot. Exactly. You highlighted some of some of my favorite things actually about teletherapy and and what's kept me in this field so long um, are ultimately when you can do that with content for students, they are bet they're often better engaged. From my own experience, that actually took me some time to come to terms with. I didn't yeah. really want to admit to myself how how they some of them were really engaged because I was individualizing content, customizing it to their interests and abilities. Um, looking back, you know, on the time I maybe wasted previously when I was laminating, trimming cards, trying to make my own content when I was very not artistic or, you know, creative in that way. And instead, um, I was trying to make content fit into a student need or a goal that I had available. And with, with the digital formatting, I found that much easier. I found, you know, a, a sparked creativity, like I said, that I could, um, pull in their interests and their needs. You know, you think of the, the kiddo who loves penguins or the kiddo who loves trains and how easy it is to just go out there and access a million things at your fingertips um, on that interest and pull that into the session. I found that to be really rewarding and found them to be really engaged by doing that. Yeah, it's so interesting. Like if you were to honestly ask most clinicians, when did you come up with your best therapy session? Was it when you were by yourself in the office laminating or was it just when you planned something and then it went a completely different direction because of the student's response that you came up with something you never would have thought of? I I agree. I think 90% of people would say the the latter. Yeah. And that's what like on the, on the, on the PD side of, uh, you know, a person who is providing information to people I had this conversation uh, yesterday with a guest, we were, as we're talking about executive functioning and just our frustration with the professional development, where a lot of times people are like, well, I want actionable strategies. Like I want, um, I get a lot of requests for just like pre-printed curriculum materials, that kind of thing. And I totally get that because clinicians are so overloaded. They want, you want some decisions made for you so that you can have the mental bandwidth to think about other things. And so the idea of a curriculum that's kind of set out and a protocol that's, you know, pre-made for you, it sounds like it's less work up front, but I have found that a lot of times when you try to, when you try to make it, you know, fit everybody into this box, you end up almost, the, the work is kind of counterproductive because it doesn't fit for all students. So you kind of have to go into it with this element of, I have some structure, I have a process, but there's flexibility and I know how to customize it on the spot for the students so that I feel like I'm not spending hours planning, but at the same time, it's individualized. And that's what's been the biggest challenge for me as somebody providing the PD where it's like, I can't tell you step-by-step what's going to happen in your 20-minute therapy session because I don't know how your student's going to respond, but just to know how to use your platform, your skills, your materials, and just do that is just that's where the magic happens, I guess. <laughs> I agree. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So um, I am just kind of going back to the topic of teletherapy and the way that you provide services. I know you've talked a lot about the platform and how you're using it to make it very specific to the needs in a clinical setting. Um, when you're talking to districts, and because I know that you, you're providing therapy services for districts, I mean, what kinds of things are they wanting and what kinds of things do they think that their students need? I'm just curious, just from like a, I guess, almost like a marketing standpoint, because I know that a lot of times people think they need one thing and maybe you don't, maybe you don't necessarily think that that's what they need. Yeah. Well, one, they need their students served primarily like they're more often than you'd want to know it. There are just challenges in getting a therapist, let alone a highly qualified therapist to serve that student. So that's always first. And that's where teletherapy teletherapy creates that equity and accessibility Mm -hmm. that all students deserve that, you know, regardless of their location, their geography, their language, their socioeconomic status, they are um, afforded access 
to services first and foremost. And then other things, um, they want to know that they're gonna be served well, of course, um, and that that they have someone who is a part of their school culture and their school district, um, not you know just to serve that student and be done, but really pulled into their, to their school's culture and working with the team that is on the ground that supports that student, that's really important, I would say. Um, and that's why I think here at Presence, um, for many districts, we might be a sole provider. So maybe uh, a rural district or a virtual school setting or just some districts choose you know, to use us solely. But in more often, most of the schools are using a hybrid approach where they might have some on-the-ground therapists, maybe students that do better with a face-to-face approach. And our services are here to supplement that, free up some staff, and, and really meet the diverse needs holistically of that district. So kind of that blended approach um, is really nice for a lot of districts. It allows them to um, be assured they can stay in compliance, mm-hmm. uh, be assured that the students are all served in the right ways that meet their own needs, and um, that that the workload of on-the-ground providers and teletherapists is manageable too. Yeah. How does that work with, because I know that with all the different state guidelines and, you know, some states don't have a cap on caseloads and, and I'm thinking SLPs and I'm sure that the other disciplines have specific requ- requirements as well. I mean, how does that work when you're communicating with districts about that, when they're thinking about all these different state guidelines, when it comes to compliance? Yeah. So, well, we try to stay on top of all those state guidelines here internally. Of course, schools themselves are often in, in, on top of that as well. Um, but but here, what we're trying to do, too, is uh, less of a focus on caseload numbers and more of a focus on workload. Mm-hmm. I think across our profession, that's needed, not just in teletherapy, but uh, across the board that you know, the numbers don't show the whole picture. And really it's about all of the work that goes into serving a a given caseload well. And there's a lot of indirect time and there's a lot of IEP requirements and, um, you know, really looking at that holistically as opposed to just the numbers is something we partner closely with our districts on. Yeah, that would be, I mean, I imagine that would be so helpful for the people who are working for those districts because it is hard from the standpoint of the clinician to to advocate for that. And I know that some districts are more open to that than than others, depending on what the state guidelines are, what the philosophy is. But the other thing is that all the disciplines have different ways that they determine what their guidelines are, because you have the SLPs where it's a lot of times it's number of students. And then you gave the example of psychologists where it's they factor it in with the student body. And, um, and so that's, they're thinking about it a different way, because the way that a psychologist caseload would look would obviously be different than an SLP or a social worker, um, or an OT. So how, like with the districts, how do you manage all those different ways of thinking about workload and, and help them to understand really what, what the workload is for all these different disciplines? So we we lean in on our uh, clinical teams here to kind of validate those needs and help set up districts for success. So there there's a lot of components that are necessary in order to get services up and running. And so we really try to wrap around a district and make sure that that relationship from the district to our providers is seamless and mm-hmm. that you know both parties have all the information they need to kind of get up and running and, and set up that our providers are following all the district intricacies and policies that are necessary, making sure they're they're set up for day one to succeed. And then just that ongoing service coordination and support. So, you know, things change. We all know that when it comes to any given caseload and kind of keeping an eye on that for our providers and partnering with our districts regularly to ensure that it's manageable um, is how we try to, to manage that. Yeah. It's just, it's just a lot of things to think about, you know, like, I mean, even from, um, I've always said the whole, going back to your whole idea of just having your team around you, creating your own team where, you know, you could, you could have a relationship with your psychologist or your social worker and like, you know, all the people that are related service providers can be 
kind of working together to talk to the districts about what the needs are and how they're different and how you can't just use an algorithm to calculate it when you're working with humans. <laughs> I mean, even though I understand from a district level, especially when you have these huge districts where the administrators, it's more like you're operating a business than running a school district. You need some of those skills and you have to think about your operating procedures and you have to think about all these things that are very analytical numbers-based things. And I have an appreciation for that because a lot of times doing that can free up your time to think about the humans, but at the same time, you can't forget about that when you're thinking about these procedures. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's where our team can come in and, and help simplify that so that the district doesn't have to worry about all of the details. They can just be assured kind of, we'll, we'll streamline things, we'll keep it simplified for them so they know what to expect along the way. And that can be a, a really key partnership. Um, both they and therapists are just tasked with, with a ton of challenges in any given one day, they're navigating a lot. So we, we try to really simplify and streamline things for, for both the districts and our providers. Yeah, I could just, again, I think that nobody, <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on where you want to go in your career and how you want to evolve, but I don't know many therapists who are like, I want to think about all these reports and operating procedures. And that's why I wanted to be an SLP or a psychologist or, <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's where anyone's head was when they picked that career path. <laughs> sure, At least not very yeah. many. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, helping, helping districts figure those things out ultimately helps the providers too. giving those services, the more efficient a district can be with those things that that trickles down for sure to, to let the providers and therapists focus on the right things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's when I have talked to people who are in teletherapy um, and, and they're sharing stories from people who have come from one setting to another. That's one of the things that they share is that a lot of the therapists feel like, oh, I can just focus on the part of my job that I really love the most, which is showing up for my students. So that's, uh, I mean, I think that's really where a lot of people want to spend most of their time. Um, I actually kind of like the operation, the operating procedures and business side, but maybe I'm kind of a unicorn. I don't know. It's always good when someone does. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, I, I reflect every day on just what I know the therapists navigate in one given day, they have an amazing different amount of skills that they have to do. They have to meet this wide set of student needs. They have to demonstrate all the soft skills that they might need yeah. to advocate for their students or navigate challenging communications. Um, they have to earn CEs. They have to stay on top of technology. They have um, uh, just an amount, an incredible amount of things that they navigate from moment to moment in one given day. And, you know, by keeping our internal clinical team here strong and anticipating all of those needs, building up a community, I think that ultimately, you know, is, is the best thing we can do to support our, our workforce and career longevity. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I mean, people have no idea how much planning and forethought goes into what happens when you're live in a therapy session. Yep. And then after it and before it too, oh, yeah, all those things. Oh yeah. Like I said, they have, they have no idea. So back to, I wanted to wrap up by talking about the, the mentorship leadership component, because that's kind of been woven into this conversation. What needs do you see when people are coming into the field, whether it be, and I, I'm, I'm sure you have some interaction with teachers as well. So teachers, clinicians, when they're coming into that role, um, what are some things that you're, that you're seeing are a need when it comes to leadership and mentorship as it, as it applies to building specific skills? So ultimately, the best way to reach quality, I think quality services is, like I said before, ensuring manageable workload, because if you if you don't have a manageable workload, it's pretty hard to also have quality happening. So yeah, that's first and foremost. And then um, building in learning opportunities. So, you know, we talked about some of the challenges they have professionally. Of course, everyone has their own personal mm -hmm. needs, too, that they're navigating. And so building in a, a sense of community so that it's easy to uh, learn, it's easy to access continuing education, it's easy to access the support that you need, making things really accessible and simplified, I think is really important for someone who's new, newer to the field. Um, and I always, 
you know, for anyone who's nervous or just feeling a little overwhelmed, I, they don't need to know everything on day one. Like I said, there is a foundational skill set that they can start with and then they can grow as they're comfortable and more advanced learning can happen along the way. Um, so, you know, never feeling like you need to know everything to start is, is something I like to remind new providers of and that um, there's a basic level that you need to feel comfortable yourself. And then you can learn a lot along the way as you go too. Yeah. Love it. So where can people go if they want to connect with you or if they want to learn more about presence learning and potential opportunities? Yeah. So they can, of course, come to presencelearning.com. Um, we have uh, an events page there where they can see what's happening with open houses and um, sometimes even some continuing education opportunities or webinars might be available on our events page. They can find Kanga on there as well. Um, and then personally, I am on LinkedIn if anyone ever wants to reach out to me there. Um, likewise, you can find my email through our presence site as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you, Dr. Karen. It was great. Be sure to check the show notes to learn all of the places that you can go to connect with Lynn to get more information about opportunities and professional development at Presence and also to learn more about the Conga platform for telehealth. Additionally, if you want a framework for language therapy that's going to help you streamline your therapy planning, but also leave room for creativity so you can make your therapy customized and client-focused, then check out Language Therapy Advanced Foundations. Language Therapy Advanced Foundations teaches SLPs a framework that supports vocabulary so that students can build the language skills that they need for academic success. To learn more, go to drkarenspeech.com backslash language therapy. And finally, if you have a suggestion for a guest on the show, if you would like to be a guest or you have a suggestion for a topic that I can cover in a future episode, please send me an email at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. I'd love to hear from you. As always, if you found this episode useful, please share it with anyone you think would benefit from this information. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.